1: Only from Rustolium.
2: Often on Money Clinic, I speak to people whose finances have gone slightly wrong. Well this week I met New Yorker Anna, whose finances couldn't really go any better.
3: I am a 20-something currently working on Wall Street and I've basically made six figures ever since I graduated.
2: I was keen to feature Anna on the show as she is the living proof that even high earners working on Wall Street have financial issues. Yep, they really do. But the solutions can be applied to all of us.
3: A lot of people I know, even you know, older than me or, or younger, kind of spend a lot because they assume they're gonna be in finance forever, and they also assume that they're in a strong financial position. So I regularly see like people who are definitely making Probably a million dollars complaining about the cost of private school and all these other
2: expenses that feel really unnecessary for me since I went to public school. While 20-something Anna is a big earner, she doesn't want to fall into the trap of becoming a big spender.
3: I think I save around 80% of my salary, but it is kind of hard to avoid the lifestyle inflation of everyone around
2: you. That is a phenomenal savings rate. But what's motivating Anna is the idea that one day she might quit her high paying job to focus on the passion project of starting her own social enterprise.
3: What is the next step in my career? Do I see myself staying in finance versus taking a leap and, and trying something on my own?
2: Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. How would you define a rewarding career? A six figure salary and a hefty bonus or something that's less financially rewarding, but gives you the chance to make a real impact. This is the dilemma that Anna, who works for a Wall Street hedge fund is currently grappling with. Where would you place yourself on the work life balance spectrum at the moment? I would say I work probably on average like 80 hours
3: a week and have been for the past couple years. And there's definitely worse weeks
2: and there's definitely better weeks. Despite her hectic schedule, under lockdown, Anna has been developing a project that one day she dreams of turning into a fully-fledged business.
3: All on the side, I also work on this passion project. It's a financial literacy programme. Right now, the financial literacy platform is more of just a website where I share like very basic information that I feel like sometimes people are misinformed about. For example, me, where I didn't really have a financial role model because my parents were immigrants from, from Taiwan, a place that wasn't familiar with capitalism at all, or even the stock market. So I feel like I wanted to provide more of a sounding base for that. But ever since I started finding something that I was a little bit more passionate about on the side, I've kind of been craving more time to work on that or seeing if
2: that even makes sense. She would be walking away from a huge salary. But Anna is not just earning a lot, she is saving a lot too, a habit that she got into after graduating.
3: My motivation in the beginning was actually paying my parents back basically for some of the money that they contributed for my college education. And this was like when I first got my job and I was very proud of my paycheck. But since then, I think it's kind of developed a habit of just definitely living within my means. It's fairly easy to with a finance salary. So uh, I haven't really spent a lot outside of my rent.
2: But what should Anna do with all of this money she saved up? Even though she works in the world of high finance, she is surrounded by people who don't seem to have much of a strategy for their personal finances other than spending. And she worries about this pressure to spend. Some call it lifestyle creep.
3: I don't want to be chained to a job just so that I can afford all these expensive things for my child some people do come from money and seeing how they treat it was kind of a bit shocking
2: Mm, but I think also there's no other place on earth quite like wall street perhaps the city of london whereby people want to signify their wealth and importance
3: no totally um I remember when I first started, it was it was a friend who's a couple years older than me, he was kind of a mentor, and I was telling him how I really enjoy thrifting in New York City. And he was like aghast and I think he meant very well, but it's definitely something I never really told anyone in finance again, which is because I feel like that makes me seem less financially
2: normal. She can resist lifestyle creep when it comes to designer clothes and fancy meals. But the one area where Anna is tempted to abandon her thrifty ways and spend that hard earned money buying her own property,
3: I think the past couple of years I've definitely been we call it nesting pretty hard, where if I'm going to be honest, it's not fully as an investment, although I would justify it that way and try to make the numbers work but it it's more just to have a nice home right and And I realize like I definitely don't need that, but I've been kind of obsessed with that lately. I realise like it comes down to a little bit of like, not necessarily keeping up, but like wanting more and wanting to feel like you're successful.
2: As well as being a symbol of her success, buying an apartment could be a wise investment move for Anna, a good use of her savings. But as her enthusiasm for her job dwindles, she might need to hang on to that cash for something else. I've been actually debating whether or not it makes sense to go into like
3: social impact entrepreneurship. Like, you know, what is the next step in my career? Do I see myself staying in finance versus taking a leap and, and trying something on my own?
2: But giving up a high-paid job, which has allowed her to save so much in order to launch a startup, would be a huge risk. What does Anna want to learn from the experts? I think
3: my biggest question right now is like, I have enough saved where I could technically do something and like have a year of cushion to just try it. But then there's so much risk in terms of, finance isn't really an easy culture or a place to like quit for not another finance job and then come back to. And I think for me, it's a question of, okay, like how much money is enough money to have that cushion, right? Because I don't know what is in the future if I do end up in that route. And then the other thing is, okay, if it doesn't work out, what do I do? after that. And my other question is how to avoid lifestyle creep in terms of as your salary grows, or even if it doesn't, how to avoid spending more money on things that you don't need.
2: Bola Shukumbi is the founder of Clever Girl Finance.
4: Hey, everyone. My name is Bola Shukumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. And welcome to Clever Girl Finance TV
2: one of the largest personal finance platforms for women in the US that's now making inroads over here in the UK. She can relate to the pressures of trying not to spend as much as the people around you.
4: In my case, I had a lot of friends who were working on Wall Street, making a lot more money than I did. And I was trying to save. And it was, let's go to the dinners. Let's go out to have fun. You just got this raise. Um, At the time back then on Wall Street, I don't know if it has changed. There were these big yearly bonuses that my friends would get that were bigger than even my own salary, my annual salary. And so I would see so many people earning six figures and they weren't saving anything.
2: So how did Bola manage to stave off lifestyle creep?
4: As your income increases, you also feel the need to want to treat yourself, to splurge, to take the trips, to buy the nice things. And so I'm a huge fan of setting aside a separate account that's a guilt-free spending account that does not impact my savings goals. Uh,
2: One second, I'm just adding set up a guilt-free spending account to my financial to-do list. That is a seriously good idea. And the same would apply
4: to having designated accounts for things you want to accomplish. Like she talked about purchasing a home, she talked about starting her business, set up dedicated accounts so that you can start to designate savings from your budget into these accounts to help you accomplish those goals without feeling like you have to dig into this big savings that you've been working on all these years
2: so you don't feel guilty about it. Bola is clearly a savings pro But she learned by trial and error.
4: A lot of people pursue perfection when it comes to saving. And in this pursuit, when they're not saving, they tend to judge themselves and then throw everything they've tried out of the window. And a lot of times the reason why people are unable to save is because of just self-discipline and navigating temptation, dealing with peer pressure. And so I'm all about making it easy for yourself to succeed. And so I'm a huge fan of automating my savings where money just gets transferred every fixed period of time into a savings account that's not easily accessible. The second thing that you want to do is set a goal. Why do you want to save? Why do you want to accomplish what you want to accomplish? And having that goal, having that why will help you stay focused and motivated and empowered to pursue what it is that you want to achieve. Because when you set a savings goal, sometimes it can be really,
2: really overwhelming, especially if it's a large amount of money. But because Anna has those savings patterns in place, Bola can see why they'd be difficult to give up. I
4: find Anna's story very fascinating. And when you get into the space where you're already on this fixed savings path, when it comes time to adjust, to pursue other things or other goals, then it can be challenging because number one, you can feel guilty about reducing how much you're used to saving. You can feel like wary or worrisome about, am I going to make the right decision knowing how much time and how much effort I've put into putting these savings away? There's no guarantee, like I know from experience, that your business will succeed. How long will it take you to start earning that income or even replace that
2: income? Bona's got some tips for Anna if she does choose to start her own business. I would definitely encourage her to
4: put a plan in place for her business. Who is she trying to reach? What is she trying to accomplish with her business? What are her income goals? What is it going to cost her to start this business?
2: She'd also encourage Anna to keep her personal finances separate from her business finances.
4: She may want to consider putting a buffer aside for her business, for her personal expenses, where she doesn't have to touch the existing savings that she's designated to her other goals. This way, she can go into running her business knowing that she's able to cover her personal expenses. She can start to work this part-time, and once she gets to the point where she feels like, I have to go full-time, she's already done a lot of groundwork without sacrificing her full-time income, and not just the income, but also the benefits.
2: And as one entrepreneur to another, Bola knows that Anna doesn't just need cash to launch a business, she also needs a network. I would also encourage her to find
4: other people in the space she's trying to get into to mentor her, to guide her, because entrepreneurship can be lonely, it can be isolating. There are many times in my business that I've wanted to give up the first year of Clevero Finance, we made $200, right? <laughs> That's not it. So she needs to have those people in place, mentors, advisors, peers that will help to guide her and motivate her, but also a financial plan in place. I'm really big on having money to the side because it just lowers the stress when it comes to business that in itself is stressful enough.
2: Now I've got one final question to ask you, Baylor, which is about property. What are the sort of pros and cons that she needs to think through about property ownership Before, ideally, she starts this business. When it comes to
4: owning property, there are some factors folks need to keep in mind. So Anna would need to keep in mind, number one, you need to have a down payment to put into this property, right? So that, in a sense, is a short-term sunk cost because that's money from savings you're putting into this property. In addition, when you become a homeowner, you are the owner in every sense of the word, which means that there's no landlord to call for repairs. It's being able to accommodate a savings buffer to cover insurance, warranties, and any major repairs, you also want to consider how long do you plan to stay in this home? Are you setting roots in this city, in New York City, where you know you want to be here for an extended period of time? And we also have to take into consideration that we are going through a global pandemic, which has and will continue to have severe economic ramifications, which means that if you purchase a home right now, it could be a while before you're able to sell it to recoup your expenses, right? So a home is not a liquid investment. It takes time
2: to sell the second expert I hooked up with is Emily Belle. She quit her job in the city of London to found Vestpod, an online financial community educating women about money and investment and getting a handle
1: on their spending. Lifestyle creep is something we've been discussing a lot amongst the Vestpod community and also because we spend a lot of time on social media. So we tend to, you know, to compare ourselves and compare the life we live with others. But you know, it's it's funny that Spending is actually much more visible than saving. So when you compare yourself with someone, for example, online or your colleagues, you actually don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And I won't be surprised to see, you know, a few influencers who actually have huge credit card balances, who actually can't afford the products they're actually showing on their platforms. I
2: was really keen to get you on this podcast because your story is quite similar to Anna's in that you quit a highly paid job in finance, in private equity. Found your own company. So tell us about your motivation for doing that.
1: So I started my career working for Lehman Brothers in London in private equity actually in 2006. And I think, unlike Anna, while I was working in finance, I actually wasn't managing my finances very actively and I didn't have a pension for a few years. I was not investing my own money. So I started looking for a financial advisor and I met one in the city and he asked me where my husband was. That's basically when the penny dropped and I decided to start researching financial education. Eventually,
2: Emily was able to turn her passion projects into a fully fledged business.
1: So I started Vespod. As a weekly newsletter for women. So it's an online platform. And now it has evolved into a school for personal finance where we teach everything from, you know, repaying debt, saving money, investing money. We're not giving any advice, but it's really like guidance and tips and helping women like build confidence. And this is why I quit finance basically, because I wanted to work on something bigger. I wanted to have a positive impact. I asked Emily how
2: she coped with the financial challenges of giving up a big salary and risking her savings to start her own business. What could Anna learn from her story?
1: The main thing for me was to have a plan. And you can take risk, but I think it's great to take, you know, informed and calculated decisions. So as you say, I managed to save. I mean, I was earning a good salary working in finance, so I saved my bonuses and I had a few investments. But I had to shift my mindset from more like salary mindset to like an asset creation or like building something that has value.
2: Rather than focusing on a figure that she needs to hit before she can quit her job,
1: Emily advises Anna to think about some deeper questions first. And for me, rather than spending based on your earnings, I think you should really decide on the lifestyle you want to have. Like what makes you happy? You know, work-life balance is a big one for me. What is your, your dream life and what will contribute to your happiness? And then making sure you have enough money to sustain it. So for me, it's having very clear, very tangible goals, having a budget and being very pragmatic about, you know, the money you will need in your new life. And, and, you know, if you stay in banking, what is it? And if you want to build your business, then is it different? And doing that, I think you need to factor things such as, you know, maybe childcare, education, and this can be quite tricky. And you'll see that your life can become quite expensive. I think the difficulty then when you want to start a business is that you don't know how long it's going to take to actually generate the revenues and be able to pay yourself. So you need a business plan, even if the reality will certainly be different. I don't want to show you Vespot's first business plan, but really think about your market. How are you going to make money? Will you need external funding? And if so, how much? And this will help you understand how much money you need to save up. Anna should also remember
2: that it's not just the salary she'd be leaving behind if she quits.
1: To be honest, running your own business takes a lot more time and energy and certainly a lot more than banking so while you're still employed I would just make the most of my time as an employee and make a list of all the things I won't have access to once you know I start my own business it's important to be mindful of pensions contributions for your employers you're not going to get that medical insurance maybe paid holidays sick pay and I'm thinking for me maternity leave like you know when you're a business owner i have three kids and i you know i couldn't get anything for my maternity leave so all these things are going to make a huge difference in your finances over the short term but also over the long term emily has some final words of wisdom for anna to take away i think it's important to understand what you want to do in life what you're passionate about and maybe what's your definition of success is i I personally don't think I could have spent another 10 years working in finance or in banking, even if I loved the job, just because I wanted to work on you know, something of my own and something more impactful. I think life is too short and you don't want to spend another 10 years doing something you don't necessarily enjoy. Now when we talk about startups, we know that most startups fail and this happened to me actually in my first business. But I think as a society we have to stop being afraid of failure and really value like experience and learning. And investing in your own business is like investing in yourself. I've learned so much actually building this business, doing it for myself, that it's definitely the best investments I've ever made. But this is all calculated for me. So I made sure I had some savings, I have some investments on the sides. So If Vespa doesn't work, I know I can go back to any job or I can launch another business.
2: So some rich servings of advice there for Anna from two renowned entrepreneurs and personal finance experts. But how might this shift Anna's mindset?
3: Yeah, it was really great to hear from Bola and Emily, both from the personal finance and from even starting a business just because they've both done it and done it very successfully, it sounds like it really resonated that I need like some sort of designated accounts to kind of keep myself motivated, but also just like mentally block out that money for like my future goal of either business or property. Um, I think for both Bola and Emily, like just hearing it back myself, I definitely
2: should not be buying a property. And it seems like more of just a desire at this time. Um, Hold on a minute, Ada. Are you saying that the experts have put you off your property addiction?
3: It just doesn't make sense for where I would be at this point in life. Maybe I would look into something like a very small rental property instead. And that way I can at least like cash flow it
2: in the near term if I do leave my job. So... Hearing what the experts have to say has changed your mind about the property question, but has it made you more likely to pursue your passion projects?
3: I definitely think it makes it more likely. I think it's it's great to hear from them that like they've had their fair share of ups and downs as well. The other thing was the fact that I do want to do something that is more impactful and not
2: necessarily for the money. Mm, clearly, if you're gonna take this further, both of the experts, Bola especially, just couldn't stress enough the need for a business plan. And I also found it quite an eyebrow-raising moment when Bola said that she only made $200 in the first year. Yeah,
3: no, totally. That definitely like stresses the point of like a business plan and also just setting aside money that you're okay losing. And make that hard decision as opposed to just feel like I'm throwing it away. I'm not, I'm in, I would be investing in myself.
2: So at the moment you're thinking that pursuing your passion project is probably the goal that you're most likely to to prioritize with that money in the future. Yeah, I
3: think so. I also think it might be something where I can do um proving the viability. Mm-hmm. I think it was Emily, proving the viability before I actually leave my secure stable job or maybe I don't even need to and <laughs> it's like a side hustle.
2: It could be. I mean, one thing that the FT offers, I don't know if if your company would be as amenable, is a sabbatical. And you say, you know, I'd like to take a three-month break from work unpaid.
3: I agree. I think the sabbatical idea is honestly genius. Although I think if I were to leave, I would try to negotiate
2: for something like a sabbatical beforehand and see how it goes okay so let's talk a bit more about lifestyle creep now both of the experts had lots of tips how confident are you that you can keep that in check as life opens up after the pandemic
3: (laughs) <laughs> I think so far I've been doing a good job, what I think I've done is actually outsourced that effort into my family and my boyfriend in that I kind of just put them in charge of making sure I don't buy anything crazy. It definitely is harder, like like I know very logically what I should be doing, but I still have like cravings for irrational things like a new laptop or, you know, all these things I truly don't need and I know that once I buy I won't be as happy with.
2: Well, I thought what Bowler said about setting aside funds that you can have as a guilt-free spending account was an absolute genius idea. And that's something I'm actually going to do, believe it or not.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good idea. I just feel like after the pandemic and everything, like I I truly just don't need that much. Um,
2: Yeah. That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. We'll be taking a break for Christmas with our next episode out on New Year's Eve, December the 31st, to help you with all of your 2021 financial goals. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. Want to read more? Check out the show notes for links to articles I've written on these topics Take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow us on Twitter, at ftmoney. Money. Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Josh Dunamare. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner, and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That is the small print over and done with. We'll see you back here on New Year's Eve. Goodbye.
0: Hold up.